Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. My name is Laura Boyle, and I am your host as always. Today I'm here with Leanne Yao of Polyphilia Blog to discuss breakups in polyamory. Uh, and we're talking about it from a little bit more of a personal perspective than some previous episodes on the topic have done, uh, which have been more focused on like the theoretical, the how does this happen sometimes. Today we're talking from a little bit more of a personal perspective. I'm so glad to have Leanne here to discuss it with me. If you've been on the internet recently, you've probably seen Leanne's work. She's a content creator who you probably know from her various pages called Polyphilia Blog on uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and other platforms. You may also have seen some of her classes, either on her own or in partnership with Morgan from Chill Polyamory. Um, And without really further ado, I'm going to get into our interview regarding breakups in polyamory. Thank you so much, Leanne, for joining me to talk a little bit about polyamorous breakups, about de-escalations, about what the difference between them is, and sort of why polyamorous folks need to actually talk about them a little bit. Yeah, um, really, like, really excited to get into this conversation, um, particularly because, yeah, I mean, I went through a breakup relatively recently, um, and I've been very open about that on my platform. And I think just the number of people who have been, like, just responding to my post in waves, like, talking about, like, oh, you know, how it's really good that, you know, people are talking about breakups and talking about how, like, sometimes relationships don't work out and not presenting it as a failure. Um, And various other things, you know, um, I think... The conversation has so much nuance to it um and uh yeah just there's just there's just so much content uh, uh and yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into it with you yeah i think a lot of times because in the polyamorous community we like to talk about the fluidity of our relationships about the ways they can change uh for those of you who are at home listening and therefore can't see me i am doing ridiculous hippie wibble wobbles while i say this um we don't get around to just talking about when a relationship really hasn't worked and we have to have an actual breakup, a thing where the relationship has collapsed and we are done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think like the really nice thing about polyamory is that you can embrace the fluidity of relationships, but it's one thing to say that. And it's quite another thing to do it in practice. Right. Cause we're always talking about the relationship anarchy smorgasbord and how there are all these different plates and, you know, you can like take and remove them at any time. And that looks great on paper. Um, but in practice, you know, it's very difficult to do that. Right. Like for example, even if something as, as simple as like deescalating from say, uh, you know, a romantic relationship to friends of benefits. So in that situation, you're taking like, romance off the table you're taking maybe if you're planning on building a future together you're you're taking those future plans off the table mm-hmm. and I think the pain and the grief from, uh, from that loss um you know it needs to be felt and processed and sometimes that can be really difficult to do while you still have a very close relationship with this person in a different way and you know especially now that you've removed all the negative things you're enjoying the positive things which you know creates a hope like of being like oh why you know why didn't that work out why can't we move towards that again and so you know I think de-escalations really only work if both people like actually really want the same thing um and you know are very honest with themselves and each other about that um you know and are also taking space from each other to like grieve what is being lost as well as building and transitioning to the new dynamic that they both desire yeah i think your point about both people having to be in agreement about what they want 
going forward is a really good one because it only takes one person to initiate a change in a relationship, whether that change is a breakup or what have you. But when only one person is initiating a change, it's a lot harder for it to be an incremental one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I, I, I don't want to live together anymore, but I do. And then, you know, how are you going to process that process that grief and the shock? Um, you know, it's like it, it, it again, yeah, like, like, looks great in theory in, you know, in practice, it can be really tough to do. Um, I think it involves a lot of conversations. And sometimes, I mean, you know, like, I've definitely been in situations where I've just been like, you know what, is this even worth the energy? <laughs> and sometimes the answer is no. And that's okay. Right. It can be absolutely doable, but it's a lot harder than sometimes people make it out to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, with my most recent breakup, I think we wanted to uh, de-escalate. We actually, you know, like, I we broke up in February, but in December and January, we'd actually been having conversations about denesting. Um, so because... There were various incompatibilities in our relationship, but like a really big one was the domestic side of things. Um, we wanted to, we shared a home, but we wanted to use the home for very different reasons. I was very extroverted and I wanted to have people over all the time. He was very introverted and he wanted to use the home as a sanctuary away from other people, that kind of stuff. And there were also just various other little things um, that I won't get into, um, just that made the domestic relationship unworkable. Um, but, you know, like, I think because um, I'm like much less hierarchical than my ex was. My partner had over time like grown to see like our nesting relationship as a representation of like the fact that he was number one to me when Mm -hmm. I had never kind of perceived it that way, but he was like, oh, you know, we're living together. Therefore I'm the most important person in your life. And so when when I initiated the conversation, I was like, hey, our domestic relationship isn't working. I love you. You're really important to me. Um, but, you know, I think that we should consider living apart. Um, that was like a huge hit for him because he was like, well, if we're not living together, what makes me more important than all your other partners? And, and the answer, like, well, nothing because yeah, we're not. That's most the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was not an answer that gave him security ultimately. And so, you know, and that revealed bigger incompatibilities about like our values around like hierarchy and how we wanted to do polyamory. And that's why we're no longer together. Well, one of the many reasons we're no longer together, but, um, you know, for the purposes of this episode, like that's kind of something I want to bring up about how, yeah, like, you know, people rely on like, you know, certain kind of structures and kind of markers or like, you know, um, to to feel secure in a relationship and taking that away is really destabilizing, right? You know, we talk all the time about how monogamous people, they really struggle to transition to non-monogamy because they're like, well, you know, I know we love each other because we're exclusive. So if you take that away, it's like, how do I know my partner loves me? Oh my God, I'm dying, right? <laughs> like, um, and uh, yeah, no, it's the same thing with other things, right? If you take away like, uh, you know, like a nesting relationship or you take away like, uh, you know, like a romantic dynamic, like, you know, for some people it's very hard to kind of pass that, like you're still important to each other, but you know, this particular bit is not compatible. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of emotional work. And ultimately, you know, we decided that we were going to cut contact and I don't really have any direct um, kind of lines of communication anymore, um, though he is still part of my polycule. So kind of very loosely I guess he's like my meta 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 more mm-hmm. um um but yeah like we've kind of sep- created kind of separate containers to like process and you know we've set very clear boundaries on like you know like things kind of being passed between us like I had to reach out to his partner who was a friend of mine to just be like hey um 
can you tell them to please take my name off the bills because the bills are being redirected and being sent to me um, for the house that we used to share. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask you to pass any messages about our relationship. I will not put you in this position. I This is literally just logistics. So just tell him, you know, take my name off the bill. That's it. Don't need you to do anything else. You know, things like that, right? Like we, we, we're keeping it very, very separate so we can both heal on our own timelines. Yeah, that all makes a lot of sense. I think creating space so that everyone can process on their own timeline can sometimes be one of the challenges of being still in community or still in connection in a polyamorous breakup because you mm -hmm. are often still connected either sort of directly as you all are mm -hmm. or even indirectly because polyamorous communities just aren't that big often mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. you're in a space right like in yeah. my local community everyone is sort of six degrees of kevin bacon from each other right? <laughs> like, yeah absolutely um you know and uh, yeah like i think it's yeah, it's, it's really hard when you're part of like such a small community. And then, you know, when there's a breakup and everyone knows about it, there's almost like no one else you can turn to, except maybe a therapist who like isn't related to any of these people. But even then, not everyone has access to that, right? So yeah, it can be a profoundly isolating experience, you know, being part of a polyamorous breakup. And I think that's also why people sometimes feel pressured to stay in them. Yeah, it can be definitely challenging and folks can do the thing of, oh, I'm going to stay in this relationship even though it's not working right now or I'm going to try every form of de-escalation I can think of before I admit that a breakup needs to happen. Yeah, and I think it's worth trying, right? Like, I think it's worth, tr like, tr like exhausting all the different options before you throw up your hands and you're like, I've tried everything and it's still not working, we're done. Um, but yeah, like, sometimes people do it to an unnecessary degree um, that ends up actually being, like, much more harmful than if they had just initiated the breakup in the first place. And I know we talked about this privately, Laura, like, you know, you you were part of this really extended de-escalation process that would have been better if it had just been a breakup from the start. Right, I feel like... Sometimes I was in, for example, this nesting V that um, I was in for four years of like romantic involvement and then like a year and a half of extended de-escalation process before mm -hmm. I decided to move out. And I feel like if I'd moved out sooner, the move out would have gone a lot smoother. All of us would have been a lot less emotionally damaged by the way the move out happened because by the time I moved out there were so many extra resentments built up mm, in mm. the like the way we had all ended up treating each other in the like failed de-escalation period yeah 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 wouldn't have been there if we had just sort of gone oh this really isn't working mm -hmm. let's just cut a tie here and yeah. instead it was like oh let's do everything we can to not destabilize anything because we have kids and let, you know, in the same way that like stay together for the kids doesn't work if you're monogamous, mm -hmm. don't change anything outwardly for the kids and only change the emotional components of what you're doing, right? Yeah. Like only change the emotional sexual components of what you're doing and change no logistics mm -hmm. doesn't work as a de-escalation strategy, mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, like it might for someone but yeah. it didn't for us and it mostly yeah. created extra resentments 
Yeah, so what I'm hearing is like it was very difficult to kind of compartmentalize all the messy emotions that went alongside those changes. And, well, you know, yeah. As, yeah, you know, someone else might be able to do it. But I mean, I think that that would be like a very rare person. <laughs> yeah. And like, I am just not a great compartmentalizer to begin with, which does not help particularly. <laughs> um, yeah. I like to point out that like most of my advice for folks in general about polyamory is not largely based around compartmentalizing because I am not great at it. Mm -hmm. So I try not to give advice that I can't follow. So sometimes my advice does involve sort of pause, walk away, come back to this conversation, but it does not usually involve like ignore this problem. <laughs> Shut I off this that, feeling. <laughs> when I do that, shit blows up in my face and the faces of others in terrible ways. <laughs> right? Like, I know this from experience. I am a messy, whole ass human, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so kind of related to the whole thing about like, yeah, we're going to try everything everything before we, you know, finally decide on a breakup and sometimes how that makes things worse. Um, I think something that we also, you know, uh, discussed about like wanting to address in this episode is the pressure to stay in bad polyamorous relationships because of this desire to prove to the majority um, that um, polyamory works. Um, you know, I've experienced this, like, I've definitely stayed in relationships that were, like, long past their expiry date, because I was like, no, I need to, I need to make this work, because if this fails, then I'm just going to be proving my haters right, and that, that's, you know, and I want that, and I, and I, and I hate that reality more than just staying in this really incredibly dysfunctional relationship, um, and, you know, it, it really sucks, because I think, you know, like people can like argue about like whether or not like polyamory is like marginalized or oppressed or like whatever, you know, but I, th I think at the very least we can say that polyamory is stigmatized, right? And that people, um, uh, you know, inherent, like, you know, a lot of people believe that polyamory is doomed to fail. And so, you know, I think for me and for a lot of people, uh, because of because of this misconception that you know you you want to you want to combat that misconception right and so you know being in a po bad polyamorous relationship doesn't just feel like a failure on a personal level but also like a failure on, to like the entire community and I don't know if I just feel this way because I'm a content creator and I feel like there are a lot of eyes on me um, but you know I feel I, having spoken to other people like they to do also kind of experience this in 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 other ways. Well, yeah, like I stayed in that relationship that I stayed in too long before I was making content publicly on the internet, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a like people from minority relationship styles feel like they have to be doing it right in public. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's kind of related to just um, this drive to present polyamory in, in a positive way and pretend that everything's fine and sunshine and rainbows all the time. And there's absolutely no jealousy or insecurity at all. And we absolutely never fight and cheating doesn't happen. It's not a thing. Um, and, you know, and just brushing all these issues onto the carpet. So then, you know, like 
it doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't, it really, really doesn't serve anyone, you know? And I think we need to move away from like trying to be palatable to um, kind of mainstream audiences, kind of majority groups, um, because yeah, you know, I think we should be allowed to be messy <laughs> just as much as monogamous people are, um, you know, without having our identity label stripped away from us or being called like not really polyamorous or like, you know, maybe we should just try monogamy instead or, you know, whatever. Like it's, yeah, there's so much I could say about this. What do you think? Not to say that I like suddenly want all of our media representation to pivot to the messiest thing possible. Also, <laughs> I mean, doesn't it already? <laughs> I mean, well, that's what I mean. So yeah. like, I do want us to have some like cute, happy endings, like yeah. give us some of our rom-coms that are beautiful instead of like killing every one of our like yeah. protagonists. Yeah. But like simultaneously in real life, we don't have to be that. Yeah. And yeah. our, like, our platformed people don't have to be absolutely perfect, although we also should try not to, like, platform the absolute worst of us. Striking yeah. that balance is going to be interesting over time. Yeah, there was, there, was, there was nuance, right? Like, right. you know, I've definitely messed up plenty in my relationships and I'm very honest about that, but I don't try and try and be like, this is fine. You know, I, I, I own up to my mistakes and I'm right. like, hey, this is kind of what, what led to me making like XYZ bad decision. Um, and this is how to prevent this happening in future, but also being like, hey, you know, we're human. And just because we're educators, it doesn't mean that, you know we should be held to like a really absurd standard of perfe perfection um and and also just too <laughs> yeah 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 exactly you know like um like just because I, I think the the culture of like how polyamory is this enlightened enlightened like evolved thing um you know ends up really harming the community in a, mm -hmm. in a really kind of counterintuitive way because it's like well sometimes people are shitty and sometimes people and it's not and you know like i think the relationship style isn't inherently involved like sure you know it's non-normative and that's kind of radical in its own way but people can also use polyamory to do some really toxic shit like same as kink right you know um and so um yeah you know it's not all sunshine and rainbows we need to kind of be talking about the the issues and the struggles and you know and not constantly pretend that we just got it right the first time because we definitely didn't um when and pretend that cult leaders get to take over Exactly. Yeah. It's the kind of, you know, this, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think like the, um, the, the fact that these communities are so like, you know, like marginalized and, and stuff like does enable like abusers and kind of narcissistic personalities to like take advantage of like the isolation that is kind of inherent in that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that gets really, that gets really dangerous, you know, because, and, you know, hiding behind the veneer of, oh, but it's ethical non-monogamy, um, to, do some very unethical shit yeah yeah like we don't need to add the ethical label because when we do it both makes people think that they're inherently behaving ethically mm -hmm. just by not cheating when like there are yeah. plenty of other things you can unethically do in your relationships yeah 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 and yeah we're all messy humans like yeah you know i've been saying the whole thing about like the ethical label yeah, don't is, has been yeah like i've been saying this since 2020 like it's it's um yeah it, it doesn't serve anyone and also i prefer to show my ethics like through my actions rather than labels you know um it ultimately the label doesn't mean shit if it, i'm not practicing what i preach um you know like that's that's how people like 
well, you know, he who must not be named show up. <laughs> like, you know, they're like preaching one thing and they're doing something else entirely. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, so I think, yeah, we, so we've talked about like the like isolation um, and how people take advantage of that. We talked about pressure to stay in bad polyamorous relationships and how that's related to this drive to present polyamory in a positive way and how it's like, you know, we, we're pretending that's super ethical and enlightened and stuff all the time. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, kind of what else, like? I think one thing that we haven't discussed yet that mm-hmm. might be kind of important is sort of the other side of the coin of staying in bad relationships for too long, dropping relationships when they're not perfect immediately. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like just going nope, we're just going to have some breakups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I find that, like, polyamory in some ways has raised my standards higher, mm-hmm. and that's great. But I also find that sometimes now, because my standards are higher, I go through phases where I'm like, nope, here's a breakup for you, and a breakup for you, and a breakup for you. <laughs> you get a breakup. You get a breakup. Everyone gets a breakup. And no. <laughs> once I have one breakup, I just kind of domino through an entire side of my polycule. Oh my god. Yeah, and like, like I've realized that in fact my standards had gotten too low in this season of my life. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> A mass culling. Um yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, like I think polyamory is what you make of it, right? Like uh <laughs> I I think when I when I went through when I went through my breakup recently, um I was talking about this on a different podcast where someone was like, you know, I wonder if uh sometimes like people stay in bad polyamorous relationships because, you know, you have other relationships to fill the gaps mm-hmm. of the dysfunctional relationship that you have. And I'm like, well, I mean, people definitely do that, right? Like there's the all too common well-documented phenomenon of people like opening up a relationship to save it. And you know that almost always failing um so yeah absolutely that happens right like people use other people to um you know fill the gaps uh, of a dysfunctional relationship rather than just ending that relationship entirely um and yeah you know i i very firmly believe that like while obviously you know you can have different dynamics of different people you know ultimately if you like ideally you should be feeling kind of fulfilled in like all of your relationships you know you should be getting something from all of your relationships um rather than using you know a bunch of relationships to cover up for like a really bad one or cobbling multiple mediocre people together to make like one functional relationship Mm -hmm. you know that's not that's not yeah like that's not how like that's not how it should be I think um but yeah I think related to that like while that that happens like for me I think um, well, I definitely went through a period of like, oh, well, you know, this relationship has its problems, but it's not so bad because I got these other people. Um, I then eventually moved to a place where I was like, you know what, these other relationships that, I, that I'm in that are really happy and fulfilling and healthy and supportive are actually making me realize like what I actually need and want and deserve in my life. And so, you know, now that like I feel like I'm in a good place to, you know, end this relationship that isn't good for me and isn't making either of us happy and, you know, like would be better like if we just we just ended it and yeah actually kind of you know invest more time and energy into people who are much more compatible with me and who share my values and you know my goals for the future and things like that so yeah like polyamory can raise or lower your standards basically depending on the situation or the place you are in your life or the people you're with mm-hmm. um and you know it just just like anything else like it's 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 not inherently anything it's what you make of it 
Yeah, and I find that good, healthy relationships for most people will sort of like shine a light on the rest of your life and yeah. make you look at the bad relationships that you have in the rest of your life and go, shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no. Yeah. This is what I'm doing here. And then what you choose to do with that information is your own business. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which is not to say that every time there's something bad in your relationship that you should leave it immediately. Like, I think there's always going right. to be. There's always room to grow. Yeah. Right? And, and also, you know, I very firmly believe that, like, being in relationships is just choosing like which cons you can put up with right because <laughs> there's always going to be pros and cons to every person that you date and it's no just about like and no one is perfect and no relationship is perfect there's no such thing um but then it's just about like which like downsides to a dynamic are things that like are just you know not as big a deal to you you know as it so happened like the like the reasons why I ended my most recent relationship was because we had some very fundamental value differences uh, and that made us incompatible if it was just something like I don't know um he doesn't like me singing in the shower or something uh, then I'd be like well you know whatever I can live with that <laughs> you know um but then it was but then yeah like it was these bigger picture things that I was like okay you know there is no amount of like working through this in couples therapy that will make us align on this um and I don't and I don't feel like it's worth the effort of like changing ourselves like for the other person in order to stay together um yeah, I, well, I think it's one thing to change yourself if that was a change you wanted to make anyway. And I think it's another thing to like change yourself solely because you want to be in this relationship. Right. You can live without a nightly shower aria, but you can't live with your values fundamentally having to realign. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like ultimately like a lot of people just end up in situations where there might be a lot of chemistry and there might be a lot of history kind of built up over time. Um, but like I say all the time, like, you know, you shouldn't be like holding on to your past in order to drive your present. Like, yeah, like the relationship, maybe it used to be good, but you were also different people then. Um, and the more important thing is like, are you happy now? And if you're not happy now, do you, uh, you know, is there a strong possibility you'll be happy in this relationship in the future? Um, and if not, you know, like kind of what are the cons that you're putting up with and how important are these cons to you? Um, that, that's the kind of, um, three point process like that I work through when I'm deciding whether or not I want to stay in a relationship. Right. How much of it is sunk cost fallacy versus yeah. a strong possibility for the future? Exactly. Exactly. Like, cause there's some things that can definitely be worked through, uh, and there are some things that can't. And sometimes also it's like, um, you know, if there are some really big issues, um, you know, the time it would take to work through them uh, to, to become realigned, you know, maybe in the interim, like more issues would come up. And then it's like, okay, sometimes it honestly comes down to a calculation um, of like, okay, time spent on this thing, you know, is it going to be worth the effort and worth the potential reward? And also the risk, uh, you know, that you're taking with that. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, I think it, it, like, people can call me cold for like, um, making it just just turning it into like a cost benefit analysis but i do think that uh sometimes it's necessary as part of your efforts to like protect yourself and you know pr protect your energy and your time and invest it into the right people yeah and sometimes it's not actually cold to do a personal cost benefit analysis it's it's just necessity right it is part of caring for yourself like self-care isn't all warm baths mm -hmm. yeah 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like people's mental image of what self-care is is extremely limited and it's like no it's also like brushing your teeth and doing a cost-benefit analysis before you waste <laughs> six months of your life on a project yeah i think it's a balance of uh logic and emotion right like i think if you're fully ruled by logic that's not great if you're fully ruled by emotion it's not great i think it's it's just depending on depending on the situation um yeah can we talk about the like fallout of breakups a little bit more because I think we already addressed the yeah like staying in community like with your ex and kind of you know dealing with that but then I I think I also want to talk about how like this thing that I see where um and this I think happens uh in particular if like the relationship that has just ended is one that was like one where you were very enmeshed or like one which is like like a nesting relationship or something that's perceived as more like I guess like primary Mm -hmm. if you want to call it that way um I see this phenomenon where like they people leave like a so so called kind of primary relationship and then you know to they almost do like this polyamorous equivalent of a rebound where um you know like well like monogamous people like they rebound by getting into another relationship immediately polyamorous people they rebound by escalating like the other relationships that they had to like yeah, fill the void and the role that this person left they're like okay you know i've moved out of my home um mm-hmm. And, and now, like, you get to be a nesting partner, even if you've been dating for, like, I don't know, three months. <laughs> um, which is not to say those relationships never work out. I just think it's a risk. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, escalating other connections before you're ready, um, right, you know, no, is like a thing that I see because you're grieving the role. Yes, exactly. Um, and, you know, and this can, yeah, and, and you know, if you escalate connection before you're ready, like, you know, or, or, bef- or like, or maybe just escalate it when it shouldn't be escalated, right? Because you don't have to escalate a connection. Um, that can tank that relationship too. And then suddenly you've got multiple breakups on your hands. And, you know, you've got like what Kathy Labriola called like the polydomino situation where, yeah, like, you know, it's just a train wreck because, you know, your, <laughs> like, you know, your, your grief and the sense of loss and, you know, your desperation to try and fill the void and projecting this role that, you know, is now left unfilled and kind of forcing other people to fill that role, you know, that they never wanted to fill. Yeah, like, you know, that ends up being like really damaging to your other connections as well. So I think it's very important to like have like a separation, right? Like when I left my most recent relationship, which was like a four year nesting relationship, I said to my other partner who I had been dating for about like eight or nine months at that point, I said to him, I was like, I did not leave my ex for you. I left my ex because that relationship wasn't working. You know, I do want to like, you know, like move in with you at some point, but like, you're not a replacement Mm -hmm. of the person that I just left. You know, like our relationship is progressing at its own pace uh, and organically. And now, you know, nesting is on the table in a way that it wasn't before, but like, that doesn't mean that you're replacing him in any way. Um, and you know I think it's really important to separate these things rather than be like oh this role needs to be filled this person's going to fill that role and kind of just projecting all these ideas onto them um, when maybe that's not what they want Um, so yeah like I I think it is a lot of mental gymnastics right like it's a lot of compartmentalization which people find difficult Um, but um, you know ultimately your relationships need to be kept like the growth of them need to be kept separate rather than kind of dependent on each other well and even even just to think of it as all of the relationships in your polycule are a system right Mm -hmm. 
And mm-hmm. so by removing one, a portion of the system is now balanced differently. Yes. And to care for everything, you need to not put the entire, like, the full force of your grief and the energy that you now have free on one person. Yeah. Because by doing so, it then unbalances all of their relationships. Yeah. 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 You've got to spread it out very carefully Mm -hmm. or else it unbalances all of those. (laughs) Yeah. It's a ripple effect. Right. In a pretty massive way. And so that's Kathy Labriola's theory of high stakes exploding polydominoes is the idea that like, if you put too much pressure on that one next person, it breaks up that relationship as well. And then that force of grief can cause more relationships to break up and so on outward. Um, (laughs) And it doesn't have to be quite that dramatic, but there can be sort of a ripple effect outward when Mm -hmm. you have a breakup, especially toward the center of a sort of socially well-connected polycule, especially if it's like, people who often used to host meetups or things like that in a small Mm. place Mm -mm. because there are people who sort of only got together because of those people's meetups who now aren't going to meet each other who now right yes absolutely you can get that kind of ripple effect in a very big way you also can get that ripple effect in a smaller way by as leanne was talking about sort of auto promoting someone because then some of their other relationships suffer when they wouldn't have yeah and so on outward Mm -hmm. yeah which is why i think it's important to like you know like contain that grief but also process it healthily right um and everyone grieves differently and it's not a linear process so you know um for me like i when i broke up with my partner like i immediately went into logistics planning mode i was like i need to email our landlord i need to unlink our field profiles I need to um you know it like message like all of the couples that we were having foursomes with about the fact that we're not going to be having foursomes anymore but also I have another boyfriend and maybe we can do that instead um you know I need to like inform all our shared friends um you know and and yeah like you know there was there was like so much like planning that I needed to do and I my partners are just around me being like hey when are you going to take some time to cry like what are you you know why are you just on your laptop constantly and I was like you know what I'm probably going to have a breakdown in like a week's time um and I need you to be there for me <laughs> like when that happens but that's not going to be right now and so it's, it's like setting expectations on like my emotional state and kind of my maybe even emotional availability like for for a little while like while I'm kind of stressing about this thing um and you know like yeah like I, I mean some people grieve uh, by like retreating inwards and kind of just needing a lot of time to internally process right some people process outwardly you know they talk to all their friends and they're like oh my god and they did this and like this happened and then you know I feel xyz right um and you know every and it's and it's it's going to be different for everyone and so you know I think it's like you need to talk to your other partners about the breakup and be like, hey, this is how it's affecting me. And this is how it's going to inevitably kind of impact our relationship in X, Y, Z ways. And so, you know, this is kind of the stuff that I would need for us to move through this, you know, while mm-hmm. this transition is happening, um, you know, and yeah. And, and I think there's also, yeah. So the person who has done the breakup has to think about that. But then I also think the person who is supporting the partner through the breakup needs to be aware like not to take it too personally <laughs> because I mm-hmm. I see it sometimes where, where they're like where 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 someone's like oh my god you know my partner's going through a breakup with their other partner and they're so sad about it and they're just talking about it all the time and it's just making me feel insecure because like 
like would they be this upset if we broke up i don't think so oh no what does it mean about our relationship ah and it's like and it's like this is not about you <laughs> um and you know i like i get it right like watching someone like grieve and so like outwardly about someone else can be really triggering right it can bring up like a whole different kind of jealousy even when the relationship isn't even like a thing anymore right um you know and uh but but it's like you know needing sure to reassure you each dump other. those feelings outward buddy <laughs> like, don't <laughs> put them back on the grieving person <laughs> yeah um well i think it's okay to kind of talk about it and be like hey you know this is like like triggering me a little can i get right. some reassurance this is a little you know? bit difficult can i have a little reassurance but don't put the brunt of your feelings yeah. on the person who is grieving yes yeah absolutely 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 yeah i think it's um yeah, I, I think a lot of polyamory is really like making good choices about the people that you vent to. <laughs> um, yeah, for those who like, I'm just I'm just gonna say for the record that like you just did like a a, a nod and you kind of rolled your eyes a little bit. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> um, I just it is very hard sometimes. So there's a great article that I will find and I will put in the show notes about mm -hmm. the idea of grief and dumping outwards in grief the person mm. who like and it's about grief from death but it applies just as much for like any catastrophic event which like we can consider a breakup a catastrophic event in some ways yeah the person who is at the center or the people who are at the center are the closest and they get to tell or feel or event at whoever is closest to them mm -hmm. outward they get to do it yeah. at each other and at the next ring out the people who are their friends their close co-workers their whoever's are the next mm -hmm. ring out they can talk to one another about how they are feeling about the things they are being told mm. they should not dump inwards they can talk to their therapists each other their friends mm -hmm. further out right like mm -hmm. yeah yeah it just dump out being considerate of all the kind of potential consequences of yeah you know um and like in polyamory it's sometimes challenging to figure out which way out is because often yes. our polycules are a bramble yeah 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 absolutely right like i can't we tried to draw our extended polycule using a computer assisted drawing tool and it broke mm -hmm. <laughs> wow okay so we yeah and also to... some people are in isolated communities where the only people that they know are their polycule right so like sometimes you can't and you yeah. just have to think about to whom you are speaking in what tone mm. right and like ask for reassurance gently and then try to make your vent a little softer mm -hmm. yeah uh, but also you know there's always people to reach out to in the age of the internet right like um you know if even if you're in a very rural area where there's no other polyamorous people around you for miles except for the people you're actually dating you know there's online communities there's 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 there's, there's therapists there's peer support there's you know yeah. like pl places you can always kind of reach out to like online if you just need a place to vent you know it doesn't have to be the people in your immediate vicinity mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean but however like kind of speaking of people in your immediate vicinity and the kind of consequences and fallout of that i think you've already talked about touched on like a little bit about like you know if uh like a breakup happens among people who are like very central to like a local community and you know or like kind of just generally like if a breakup is very like public in some way right um i think there's also 
like I think I see this urge of like you know particularly with like all these kind of you know pop uh, like like pop culture kind of therapy terms being thrown around like um people are very quick to like diagnose their exes like with a certain disorder or like call them narcissists or whatever and then try and cancel them from the local community because they're like I never want to see you again and you know and I'm going to label you as this thing so like you know people will isol- do the isolate do the isolation for me so I never have to see you again and it's like don't do that <laughs> you know you don't obviously know what a narcissist is do not call your ex that <laughs> yeah um you know unless your experience is really genuinely like are telling you that like they are going to pose a danger to other people um you know and even then exercise caution right like um like it's even then you don't need to armchair diagnose them to do it no no exactly um i think it's one thing to like you know come to this diagnosis for like your own healing and your own processing to understand the breakup and stuff like that and quite another thing to like you know just like do a big post on the internet and be like you know go and attack this person you know like um so yeah like i i I mean, you know, cancel culture is like a whole like nebulous thing, right? It's like so nuanced. But, you know, I I think people in their grief, right, they lash out and they want to cut off someone like from their polycule or friend group or local community because, you know, yeah, like they can't deal with like having to, you know, be in community like with their ex. And sometimes it's just easier to label them as this bad thing. And so everyone can, you know, do the punishment like on their behalf, right? This is the, you know, people get into very punitive mindsets and, you know, because of the society that we live in and the kind of things that we're conditioned to do. Um, But, you know, it's, it's exercising restraint. Ultimately a lot of it about is about exercising restraint and being like, okay, like what do I actually want to achieve here? Is that a healthy motivation? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I think in general, our popular culture would be a little bit better off if we left some of these terms to therapists and to trained individuals rather than like trying to apply them in our everyday lives um but who am i to say i guess (laughs) um and if your ex poses a danger to those around them letting folks know that that is the case is all right but unless that's the case you probably just need to grieve on your own terms with the people closest to you. Yeah. um, And also, you know, like narcissists and people with various types of disorders, like if that really is the case, right, they need community and they need healing as well. Um, And I think isolating them, you know, a lot in a lot of cases, you know, denies them access to to that healing in that community um, that would enable them to, you know, do better, right, in future. Um, you know, in a lot of situ- situations, like, just because you specifically, the two of you, like, didn't work together, it doesn't mean that they can't work with other people. Um, you know, like, uh, I'm, there are definitely aspects of my relationship with my ex that make me concerned for like the future people that they're dating but it's not like I'm gonna go to their current partners and be like here's why you shouldn't date them because I had this bad experience and they're xyz and you know it's like that's not helpful (laughs) you know like I they can make their own decisions um you know I can say my piece about like you know maybe things I'm concerned about but like to decide for someone else like whether or not they should be dating like my ex you know that's not my business 
Yeah, I think a lot of the time letting other adults make their own choice about what their risk tolerance is for whom they're going to date mm -hmm. is really what we can do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I think a lot of polyamory as well is just like letting people make their own mistakes sometimes uh, because, yeah, like the more someone wants to do something and the more you tell them not to do something, you know, you end up pushing them to do that thing more. <laughs> um, so yeah it's 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 a fine balance i think it's yeah like i think that that's what we've said a lot this episode it's a fine balance you need to make decisions it's gonna be dependent on the context of the situation and we can't make general statements for like every single that will cover every single nuanced thing yeah there's no real possibility to make comments for every situation unfortunately i think in yeah. general it's going to be harder if you were deeply entangled if all your finances were deeply entangled if you were nested if your whole life plans were entangled and suddenly they're not mm -hmm. there's going to be more urge to like say all the shit about why they're no longer so right? yeah i say yeah. as someone who has had those deeply entangled breakups twice yeah right like i've been married and then divorced and then i've undone the nesting partnership like yeah those are bigger harder breakups than the ones where that's not the case and i yeah. don't say that to like discount the other breakups the other breakups can be emotionally gutting and terrible mm -hmm. but, but logistics like, are a thing right and like adding yeah the layer of logistics over the top just means that like every time you have to do one more little thing to take it apart you're reminded mm -hmm. of the emotional gut punch yeah exactly and you know i think i think um like a way you can look at it is if we're, if we're using the relationship anarchy smorgasbord again right if you're very enmeshed with someone you're likely to have more plates on that table than you would with someone you were less enmeshed with and so mm -hmm. breaking up with that person involves taking more plates off that table and that's going to require more work and more emotion and therefore more difficulty so you know i'm not surprised that like your more entangled relationships were like logistically you know kind of and therefore emotionally kind of more difficult to uh to execute um because yeah i mean that's that's life and so like beyond that being a general statement that i think kind of holds i don't think i can make general statements that hold in most cases <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely there's always going to be exceptions to things and so yeah i think everything that we've said in this episode is like take it with a grain of salt um you know things are going to be a lot more nebulous if there is abuse there is abuse involved you know that's a whole other conversation for yeah. example take what resonates and leave what doesn't there we go there we go <laughs> we just did three episodes on abuse see which ones apply there <laughs> <laughs> love that um yeah um is that everything yeah. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for coming. Thank you for talking to me. Um, yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Um, you know, like, I think uh, just, you know, I, I think I think we need to be just in general, like, talking about, like, our uh, struggles and just, you know, just normalizing the day-to-day -day of polyamory a lot more rather than just being like, oh, my God, compersion, polycule, whatever. Like, you know, I think that's great, too. You know, elevating that is really great. Um, but then if we hide away the bad parts because we don't want the majority audience or whatever to, like, see us as failures or whatever you know we're also doing a disservice to our own community and we need to be centering our community like above being palatable to the mainstream right and do you think that's a little bit of a like 
toxic positivity, like, oh my God, everything is good vibes kind of thing? Or do you think it's more of a like, make us easy to consume for the mainstream? Um, I think it's a combination, right? Like, I think there is, yeah, there's the broader kind of toxic positivity culture of like, everything's fine. I'm going to pretend everything's fine. And then eventually I can psych myself into thinking everything's fine. And actually you're just repressing a lot of um, emotions that need to be felt and processed. Um, and I think it's also a combination, uh, it's a combination of that. And also, um, you know, if you're part of like a marginalized or kind of stigmatized group, right? I think, um, you know, and I say this as someone who occupies multiple marginalizations, right? Like I'm, I'm queer, I'm, I'm Chinese, um, you know, I'm neurodivergent, um, and, and yeah, and, and I'm polyamorous, and that's kind of got its own stigmatiz stigmatization. Um, like, you know, I think people from marginalized groups need to work like twice as hard to be seen on the same level as kind of majority groups. And so, you know, if we fail, the failure is seen as twice as bad as if someone in a majority group did it. So, you know, if a monogamous person breaks up, everyone's just like, oh, well, it happens. And if a polyamorous person breaks up, everyone's like, oh, that's why polyamory doesn't work. Oh, uh, you know, I told you so. Why didn't you just try monogamy first? Gosh, you know, you guys are so greedy, you know, like, um, and so, yeah, like, I think, I think it's a combination of those factors that lead people to you know, repressing the bad stuff because they don't want it to be used as fodder, um, you know, for kind of further stigmatization. But like, ultimately, you know, we need to move away from breakups being seen as a failure, like not just in the polyamorous community, but like in our just wider culture more generally. You know, I don't think, um, I think it's increasingly harder and harder to maintain um, kind of like, you know, truly like long, long, long term relationships because with the internet and with just how fast things change, like people, people change, circumstances change. We have more access to people, more access to information. And yeah, people change over time. And sometimes you grow in different directions and, you know, you can work very, very hard in your relationship and have all the necessary skills and you can still evolve in different directions. And that's not, not your fault. And so it's okay. Because we have options and most developed countries have access to no fault divorce. We don't have to stay in one relationship for our entire lives. <laughs> Who would have thought even monogamous people can have shorter relationships and multiple marriages and oh yeah, my gosh. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought. Uh, I am living for the faces you're making right now. This is amazing. I, just, I really someday I'll have to like do an Instagram live or something so that people can play the home game as it were. <laughs> It'll have to be in the afternoon so that the light is not coming straight in this window and they can actually see me. <laughs> yeah um yeah you know like i like but, but yeah you know the point you touch on is um is is true right like i think i mean you know how many people can say that like they like you know got into a relationship with like the first person that they ever been with and stayed with them until they died and were truly a hundred percent happy the whole time fewer and fewer these days many many fewer since women could get credit and no-fault divorce entered the law in the States. Yeah. That's how many. I yeah. Just, like, I don't know. I think that the fact that a lot of sort of right-wing right, right -wing politics in my country flipped to talking about family values and, mm -hmm. like, bringing back the good old days when the good old days are just women don't have credit and no one can get divorces um <laughs> is saddening and tiresome and mm -hmm. i can't support any of it um mm. <laughs> but 
you know, uh, yeah. for me, I think polyamory is a kind of natural extension as an option of this idea that you grow in relationships. And that means that longevity doesn't have to be the only measure of how well a relationship did. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, if you build community around you, like whether it's with multiple partners or with family or with like multiple friends, like whatever, whatever, you know, as long as you have, you know, community and multiple connections around you, whatever, connect, whatever those connections look like, you know, breakups are going to suck a lot less, you know, mm. um, ultimately, if you have people like around you to support you and, you know, in that situation, you'll never feel alone, right? Like, you know, um, singlehood doesn't have to be so damning, like, uh, you know, like as a reality. So thank you so much to Leanne for coming and recording with me. And uh, as you may remember from the intro, you can find her again all over the internet at Polyphilia blog. That's Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, um, TikTok, Facebook, all the social media. And you can also find her on Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Um, and her Redbubble store where she sells tons of polyamory mo merch is also in our show notes. I really appreciate her for coming and joining me. Um, and in general, thanks so much for discussing uh, breakups with us. You can find a bunch of the blogs, posts, uh, in the show notes as well regarding breakups in general, as well as the couple of articles I mentioned during the show. So that article on uh, dumping in and comforting out during grief, as well as an article about the idea of um, promoting to primary uh, automatically after breakups is also in the show notes. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great week.